I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Bundjalung Nation. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And so for me, what appeals for, for us being here and what we've loved over the past couple of months as, as being set here is, has been that, that community. I don't know, it's kind of like being in a bit of a dream. I mean, the people here are so generous and so kind. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Bar Heather is the new Parisian-inspired, natural wine-focused restaurant and bar on Johnson Street in Byron Bay. Today, I'm joined by the notorious James Oldas and Tom Shear, whose magnificent minds are behind the new venture. Hi, James. Hi, Tom. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Shanti. So nice to be here. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. You guys are not far away from opening. Tell me about if you're ready and or are you kind of deep in the weeds and, and a bit in the shit? Uh I, I really think we're uh, in a great spot and we're super excited for the opening today or the soft opening for us in about five hours' time. Uh, it's been quite a journey, but we're, we're pretty on top of things and there's fridges full of wine and the food is looking great. So I think we feel like we're in a pretty good position. As long as, as, long as the booze is cold, that is always something that can placate people. Make sure you turn the fridges on. Uh, I will admit that I have not turned the fridges on on uh, a particular opening one time and that wasn't um, wasn't wonderful icing down everything last minute. <laughs> can we start with some introductions? Um, just for some poor sod who doesn't know who you guys are, can you give me a bit of a rundown on your background? James, let's start with you. So Tom and I both worked in hospitality for about 10 years before we started Lo-Fi in 2013. So Lo-Fi is 10 years old uh, at the end of this year, which is really exciting to have sort of made that milestone. Personally, I started in hospitality as soon as I finished school, um, quickly became a sommelier um, and had worked at places like Tetsuya's, which were sort of my formative years working in the wine industry. And from places like Tetsuya's, I've been lucky enough to write wine lists and manage wine programs for restaurants such as Black Bay Ezard, Silver Eye, LPs, Quality Meats, work with great sommeliers along the way at places like Maryvale, where I worked at Est and Felix, and had some had a, over a year or 15 months working at Noma in Copenhagen. So, yeah, I started more in the... Behind the bar, I suppose. Uh, I remember being a young 18-year-old in the opening crew of the uh, the monstrous Ivy uh, on George Street and just being an invisible glassy for a little while um, and then just working my way through a few sort of bigger venues like the, the Beauchamp and um, the winery on Crown Street that was, uh, I think, once Keystone and uh, somehow ended up in a job interview at um, the newly refurbished Star Casino, um, where I didn't really take to the building as a whole, but inside of it were four um, great restaurants, Black Bayazard, Mamafuku, etc. And uh, the person interviewing me was James. Um, we we knew each other from from friends of friends of just being teens, but not all that close. And he was just a really great mentor to me just always pushed me um encouraged me to sit my um exams um the quartermaster exams and just we just formed a, a close bond and 
yeah, about two years after that, when he got the offer um, to move over to Denmark, um, I didn't see much of a reason to stay. So I ended up at uh, Love Tila Divine, um, working under Matt Sorbodo, which was a real joy. Um, uh, Oscillate Wildly, um, which has since closed, and then joined James again at LP's Quality Meets. And yeah, the focus was always lo-fi in the background. We would sort of be doing deliveries on our lunch breaks. And I remember waking up at, you know, six or seven to pack orders and drive the van around town, quickly shower at three o'clock and then essentially start another work day. Um, that was that was life for, I don't know, James, five, six years, something like that. Yeah. Um, and then somewhere along the way could actually pull a wage and work full time on lo-fi. So that was that was good. I, I remember meeting um, meeting you particularly, James, just towards the end of when you were kind of stepping off the floor and, and lo-fi was kind of really developing. And, and it really um, was instrumental in highlighting some of the kind of more natural and, and hands hands-off kind of winemaking and it, and, it, and, it, and it had great success with that. What has prompted kind of Bar Heather opening? Was it an organic progression from Luna Wine Store, which is your wonderful retail store and having lo-fi? Was it just the next step or um, you just decided to risk it all and get back on the floor? It's a really good question. We, It is really a natural progression, I think, from Luna, our, our wine store that we opened in early 2020. So it was a really interesting time to open a retail space. We were lucky to be in a, a regional area that wasn't as affected by COVID as perhaps other parts of Australia was. And so as such, we were able to build a great rapport with the community and we feel like the community really deserved an interesting wine shop. And so that's what we were able to um, to form. So. Um, one of our great regular customers at the shop was um, is the developer across the road for uh, Bar Heather, and he approached us quite early on and sort of said, "I'd love you guys to do a um, to do a, a, a wine drinking venue." And it took a, a lot of convincing of Tom to uh, say yes, uh, but it, I think no regrets, no regrets. Uh, but I think it was something that got us both really excited. And we felt like it was um, something that hadn't been done perhaps to this extent in Byron. Um, we've got a pretty extensive wine program on uh, at By Heather. And so it was it was really exciting to be able to yeah, get back on the floor, build a team and, um, and get excited about serving wine again. I love that. And I think... Um you know, Byron has a, a bit of a reputation for the kind of demographic that you have up there. So tell me how you go about creating, you know, a, a wine list for Bar Heather. You know, what what do you want Bar Heather to represent in the community? Um, I think first and foremost, just staying true to ourselves and writing a, a wine list and just creating an atmosphere more broadly that... Um, that we appreciate and we enjoy and we kind of hope by virtue of that fact that others will enjoy as well. So um, the kind of list that represents vignerons that farm sustainably and put the, the health of the soil first. And um, as the cliche goes, the, the wine is, is made in the vineyard. Um, and on the other side of that, with um, little to no intervention in the cellar, assuming the work in the vineyard is one worth um, representing. Um, and 
that that informs the list first and foremost. Um, but beyond that, as far as being in Byron Bay, um, yeah, it's a real mix of people. Um, we wanted to create a list that a wasn't alienating, was affordable, interesting, um, constantly rotating, but at the same time, create a fair amount of depth. Um, in the list as well. So there's a lot of back vintages. Um, there's a lot of cuvées from each producer. Um, and there's a lot of back vintages of each cuvée as well. So you can really take a deep dive into either a region or a producer for that matter um, that you like and, and just run with it. Mm, I love that when you can get a I love seeing lots of different cuvées from diff- like from same producers because you really get a feel of of a style and what they're trying to achieve rather than just having that one kind of hand-picked random wine that kind of, you know, if you get on a roll, especially if you're drinking a few bottles, you can you really see what they're all about. I think that's really smart. Yeah, I mean, we we kind of thought about it the way to, to write a list to represent the way you almost travel and experience wine and physical space. So, you know, we, we go to Europe a few times a year for lo-fi and we jump in a car and we go from, I don't know, say Paris to the Loire Valley. And when you're in the Loire Valley, you let's say you spend a week in a particular part of it, you just get immersed in it and, and all of the totality of, of what it has to offer. And we just thought it'd be so fun to write a list that, it's almost like driving through the Loire. So you've got a sub-region, you've got all the producers that interest us um, in that sub-region and all of their cuvées, and you can drink your way through it. Um, and that's, that seemed more true to, to real life than, as you say, sort of like a, a hand-picked bottle or two um, and divided by weight or, or style rather than, than um, geography. Yeah. That's perfect, and it makes complete sense. I feel like it'd be amiss of me not to ask you a little bit about natural wine today. Um, Tom, what is natural wine according to you, and what then is unnatural wine? Um, I'll try to thread the needle here as best I can. I'm sure, I'm sure there's something to say that will not offend, but probably give someone to take issue with something. But as far as I'm concerned, um, Natural wine occur, like comes together in two spheres. The first sphere, um, and for me the more interesting one, is in the vineyard. Um, so a sustainable philosophy behind the farming, whether that be organic or biodynamic, whether it be certified or not, um, to the degrees to which someone can do that. Um, but really focusing on soil health, um, and, and flavor development in the fruit. Um, I love vignerons that will actually choose their picking date based on flavor rather than some sort of analysis. Um, and that just naturally flows on to, um, to the cellar, which is the second sphere of uh, not inoculating the wines, um, not filtering or fining, adding enzymes, uh, acids, etc. And then, yeah, whether the wine can handle it, um, not adding sulfur as well. I'm, I'm glad that you're ready for that. So thank you for that, because I did think if I was to tune into this podcast, I would love to ask these guys this question and not be the one on the, the other end receiving that question. So I think you've done really well there. <laughs> Sorry, James, what were you going to say? I, I, I think the uh, no sulfur debate tends to be the really big one within like the definition of natural wine and 
I think for Tom and I, we've always been rather agnostic on wanting to have that debate um, and rather leave it to the, the winemakers to make that decision. But from our point of view, whether it be a really small amount of sulfur or, um, or not, we sort of are happy to leave it to the winemaker to um, to make that distinction. Yeah, and we trust you on that because you are the person that's importing and moving wines from place to place. So you're somebody that's going to really see um, the challenges of, of that or, or not. So, um, you know, I think that makes sense. I, I trust trust your judgment. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 would, I would just add that for me at the end of the day, it's about flavour, it's about taste. Um, I mean, people can, like we can talk all we want about um, – no sulfur and the sort of um, dogmatism that comes behind it. But if you have a wine that's not uh, a pleasure to drink, um, then it kind of misses the point for me. So, so long as experience is a joyful one, that's, uh, that's primary for me. Yeah. At the end of the day, that is the bottom line, isn't it? Enjoyment. And as we're, you know, we've got so many options out there for what we put in our bodies. We, um, we want it to be joyful. Um, James, I want to ask you, how have you seen the natural wine progression in Australia since you've been in the industry? I remember in the early days uh, being shown some, some of the first sort of natural wines that were being imported to the country and, and being quite sort of taken by them back in sort of 2006, seven and, and eight. Um, I think from my progression into it was really sort of guided by um, Richard Hargraves, who was the head sommelier at Mamafuku, and um, I remember we sort of used to catch up for bottles of wine post-service, and he'd always bring the most sort of interesting things, and he was sort of a great guide into, for me into the industry, and um, and I mean, tasting some of the first Australian natural wines out of um, people like James, Tom, and Anton, and and of course being guided by um, Sam Hughes in within that sort of space, so. At the time, it was very novel, it was very exciting, and I think we've sort of seen it develop as, as an industry within an industry and, um, and definitely be seen not just sort of as the fad, as I think it was labelled for, for so many years. Um, I think more and more larger wineries are making the, the decision to farm more sustainably and to really question why they're adding what they're adding in the winery and and i think over the past couple of years where i've sort of moved a little bit more into the winemaking side of things it's been really an interesting side of um of things to pick up and and better understand and definitely helps i think both both tom and i in the importing side of things to be a little bit more more critical on on all aspects but i think as an industry it's a really exciting one and, and there's so many great young producers coming up all throughout the world and in more traditional or less traditional regions and I think the wines as we sort of see whenever we go out to, um, to sort of most restaurants now, most restaurants within the major cities tend to have a, at least a small representation of natural wine. I think also we've seen, you know, wine be a topic of conversation and, and um, a choice for, you know, people on a table and natural wine has really changed that that demographic of who is drinking wine have you seen um you know a diverse range of drinkers um choosing to drink you know natural wine or just wine in general since you've been um you know importing and 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 dealing with more lo-fi as we say wines yeah absolutely i think 
the demographic for us has definitely gotten younger in people that, that are buying our wines. Um, although my mum will hate me saying that because she, she sort of got back into drinking wine through natural wine and orange wines, which she finds a lot more, A, a lot more palatable and B, a lot easier to wake up after having a couple of glasses um, when she used to really sort of struggle with wine. Um, so, I, I mean, I think for us, we're, we're definitely seeing that sort of demographic getting a little bit younger and getting people more interested in wine at a, at a younger age, which for us we're, we're particularly enjoying. And I think, you know, whether it be the, the brightest styles of wines, the, low, the generally slightly lower alcohols through a lot more natural wines in the earlier picks and, and earlier releases, I think, I think we're starting to see, yeah, a little bit of a change in the demographic of wine drinkers for sure. I love that. I mean, the more people drinking great beverages, the better off we are, I think, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about local wines. Um, I know the kitchen is really looking at sourcing local produce. Are you working with many local wines, anything from the Northern Rivers, any, you know, wines by the glass that you're working with locally? Yeah. So, uh, I suppose the the main local producer known here in the the Northern Rivers is uh, Jared from Jilly Wines. it's got a really interesting new vineyard that's uh, been planted in, in Clunes, which has a, a slightly windier and perhaps cooler microclimate than what you'd usually associate with just generally the northern rivers. Um, but he buys a lot of his fruit uh, from New England um, further to the west. Um, and that's been the, the main one, I suppose, more locally here. Um, but we've uh, we've got a nice mix as far as the by the glass is concerned of of local producers. I mean, this will change sort of week to week. But just having tasted the wines yesterday, um, we have uh, the uh, uh, Limis wines um, out of Mount Gambia um, and uh, a few other Australians. We've got some South African producers, Austrians. I mean, it's a it's a real mixed bag. But we try to do our best to represent local producers here in Australia that we think, um, yeah, demand the attention because there's so much great winemaking happening here. So it'd be a real shame to sort of comb right past it. And I think locally, New South Wales-wise, we've also, um, the guys from Chateau Acid, so Simon and Charlie have been really great friends of ours for a while and um, they sort of dug into their cellar and uh, found a few of their early releases as well. So it's been great to have a few there and I think over time we'd love to continue adding and making the New South Wales part of the list stronger um, and as well potentially some southern Queensland wines from the granite belt as well. Perfect I mean you know the beauty of having lots of things change on by the glasses that you can um, keep yourself interested and and your regular drinkers by changing it and and giving um, lots of different producers their time in the spotlight which is always fun. You both worked in pretty bustling Mm. cities what do you love about living and working on the far north coast? <laughs> um, well, I should say from the outset, we're not actually going to live here long term. Um, James has a, a very much a functioning farm, vineyard, uh, and family and children uh, back in uh, in Gippsland, in West Gippsland. Um, I myself am based in Sydney, and that makes most sense for us as far as our other projects like Lo-Fi and dust juice and and other things. Um, But 
being here for the past few months, it's been, I don't know, it's kind of like being in a bit of a dream. I mean, it's so incredibly beautiful. Um, whether you're just going for a walk or having a surf or something, it's, yeah, it's outrageously gorgeous. Um, the people here are so generous and so kind. Um, it's obviously pretty transient with the tourism side as well, but it's just a really interesting place to live. Um, everything's a little bit more down tempo and kind of laid back, which I'm sure suits most people. Um, we're, we're both pretty fidgety ourselves. So we kind of, um, I don't know, it's a, it's a, it's a mixed bag, but, um, it's incredibly positive. Uh, everyone's just so lovely here. Yeah. That's nice to hear. James, what, what's the big standout for you, uh, I mean, you've got like, I like that you said fidgety because you all have so much going on in your lives. I find it amazing that you can keep up with everything that's happening. But James, what do you find is, is different from, um, from Gippsland and, and the other cities that you've lived in up there? Uh, again, I, I think there are a lot of similarities for me with the community here as the community is into West Gippsland. I think at heart, it's a, it's a regional town. And I think for me, the decision to move out of out of, I guess, Sydney and Melbourne and, and, and things in 2017 was sort of drawn from wanting to be a little bit more grounded, um, to be able to spend my free time um, in, essentially in, in what felt a little bit more like the wild. And, and so um, my lovely wife Jess and I, we bought a farm in, in 2017 in, in the hills of West Gippsland and have really tried to integrate ourselves into what it at heart is a farming community. Um, I think the decision for us to open the shop up here in Byron and, and now Bar Heather is, is really focused around that as well. Byron's a, a really generous community which um, has a, I guess it's deep roots within the ideas of, of organics and I think a lot of people understand that. And so for me, what appeals for, for us being here and what we've loved over the past couple of months as, as being set here is, has been that, that community. Um, everyone has been so generous from the other hospitality businesses who were just like, if you need anything, we'll, we'll give you what milk we have for the night if you need it and all of those sorts of things that it's, it's not about competition, it's about building a destination and I think that's what so many of the businesses here have done. There's no one trying to compete with each other. Everyone is just trying to make it so that if you come on holidays to Byron Bay, you can go and visit all of us um, rather than that really fiercely competitive scene that is Sydney and Melbourne hospitality. Yeah, I, I, I can really resonate with a lot of the sentiment in that. And I think, um, you know, the cities are amazing and, and they'll always be a part, especially if you're in hospital, a part of of who you are and, and what you love, but there's something to be said about being a bit more regional and, and slowing down. And like you said, the, the, the hospitality takes on a different a different vibe. So if I was to say, walk into Bar Heather and uh, experience it for the first time, what would you want people to take away? What are they gonna be listening to? What are they gonna be snacking on? What What is the overall vibe of Bar Heather? Oh, <laughs> um, it's actually a hard one to explain for me personally because it's become a bit of a Venn diagram of a lot of places that we've fallen in love with over the years, whether it be venues here in Australia or traveling overseas. Um, 
we loved the um, the sort of grandiose entrance of um, the curtains that would often be hung in the wine bars in Paris, um, usually there to block a, um, a draft. But um, it was a really nice touch. We we loved the um, warmth and hospitality um, of 10 William Street and that beautiful corner window seat. Um, we we love that big brass footrest that wraps around the bar at Embla in Melbourne. Um, we love the bonquettes um, and the, the the coziness of Chateaubriand and and Paris. Um, the the intimacy that you see in Septime in Paris. The, the, all these sorts of places that um, essentially we tried to. It was like a greatest hits, um, whether it be a font or a chair or a, a, a sound um, or even a sequence of service um, that we tried to pull together. Um, um, as far as mu- music is concerned, um, we got a lot of friends to help us, um, in particular Charlie from Chateau Acid, who's also a DJ as Charlie Chucks, but um, put together a really lovely, what would you call it, a uh, forgotten disco, I suppose, is is the best way to put it, the B-sides of, um, of the disco tracks that, that we love. Um, we want it to be dark and loud and fun and welcoming. There's, there's no formalities. Um, it's very much a take your time, let's talk about it, let's put something in your glass um, before even the food menu comes down. Um, so it's, it's very much focused around what are we drinking first and foremost. Um, just to have a bit of fun. Hallelujah. That says all the kind of things I want to hear. Put something in my glass and let's have, yeah, let's just chill out for five seconds before we we make a plan. I really like that. And it sounds like you have really thought about everything down to the minute detail, which, you know, is so important because like you said, it can be just small little considerations. I I love being able to sit up at a a bar somewhere and have a, a a coat or a bag hook like it's the smallest things for me but it gets that bloody stupid thing that I'm carrying around with god knows what in it out of my way so that I can just chill out you know so I really love that you've thought about all the small details I think that's really considerate and uh, it's definitely gonna have you set for success gentlemen I always ask uh, my guests if you could only drink three beverages for the rest of your life what would they be and why I know it's an unfair question but uh, James why don't you uh, why don't you set the scene for us all right three beverages uh, I mean my first one's got to be the highway yuzu shoe um, that um, Matt Matt from black market sake brings in that that for me is um, a hun- uh, that's that's my first big thing and uh, I don't think Jess and I would survive summers without without that um, 100% it's crack it's so good <laughs> I, I'm not a particularly big beer drinker but I think if I was uh, I think there would probably be the thought of a, a beer in there and so um, the table beer from um, from Tofra Wildflower is um, is one of my favourites and we've actually got that on um, on keg at at by Heather which is um, which is really exciting oh, and then uh, and then, I mean, there's got to be wine in there, of course. I mean, I, I, I personally love champagne. I, I probably can't afford to drink it as much as I, I would like to. But um, one of probably one of the producers that we um, rekindled on our lo-fi portfolio, Amory Beaufort, he's, he's got a really special place in my heart. And um, his new solo project of, um, of champagnes based out of his little vineyard in, um, in, at the back of Polisi in the southern part of Champagne is... Um, is superb so that'd probably be 
that would probably be my uh, champagne of choice to drink at the moment. So they'd be my, uh, my three desert island drinks, I think. Oh, nothing but class from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no pressure, Tom. <laughs> Jesus, that was so well balanced. How do you do it? Um, blimey. Well, I'm just going to sound like an idiot after this. Um, I have a very honed-in obsession with one particular producer, um, Valette from the Macon, who, in my opinion, mm -hmm. makes some of the best and perhaps most undervalued Chardonnays in the world. Um, I'm incredibly biased because of just how much I love those wines, um, how expressive mm. they are and how beautifully sort of intertwined the acidity is with that sort of oxidative fruit. Um, I thank Andrew Gard all the time for bringing those wines in and uh, I hope no one notices um, how great they are so they don't become as rare as what I think they deserve to be. Um, although they are quite rare. Um, so that's, um, that's for me on the wine front. Um, this is going to sound stupid, but if you're really thirsty and maybe hungover, blue Powerade, whatever flavor <laughs> blue is, is the best. It's um, so good. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what blue represents on the flavor spectrum, but I dig it. Um, yep. So that, that would be on the, on the power front. Um, and then, yeah, just really good shit beer. Um, there's a lot <laughs> I like. Um, if it's in a can, that's great. Um, but just a cold tinny. Um, I've, I'm a big 4X guy. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that's my go-to. Oh, I, I have to say, I can agree with those. I'm a blue Powerade person. And I, a bit, I think it's a bit like the rainbow paddle pop. Like, I don't know what flavor that is either, but it's delicious. And who cares? Like, just Shanti, I, I, I'm going to ruin your rainbow paddle pop. It's a, it's caramel. Is it though? I yeah, said, it's I caramel. I thought maybe caramel and maybe malt. Is it just caramel though? Yeah, it's, so it's, it's just caramel. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I know what it is. It's definitely better than those rainbow ice creams, the scoop ice creams that were like bubble gum or something flavored. Yuck, it's so gross. <laughs> and I have to say, Tom, a smashable beer any day of the week. And, you know, um, I think, you know, Maison Valette, those price, the price point for those wines is sensational. So, you know, let, I agree with you. Let's hope that uh, they're not in demand and that, that doesn't go through the roof. So, gentlemen, it's been such a pleasure talking to you guys. And uh, I have to say super chookers for the opening because soft openings, even though they're there for a reason and it's your family and friends, they're still pretty nerve wracking. And I can't believe that you're talking to us just before you're going into it. Um, I'm, I'm super impressed and uh, we wish you all the best. Can't wait to get up there. And thank you for making the time and, and congratulations in advance. It's a total pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Loved having you on. Cheers to you guys. And uh, I hope the opening goes well. Thanks again. Thank you. Take care. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at overaglasspod and contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.